I had known Jesus my whole life. Six months younger than me, he was the cousin I played with when our family gathered together. I, I don't know how to describe it. We just always had a, a bond. The way our mothers always used to tell this embarrassing story about when they were both pregnant at the same time. See, the way my mom told it, when Mary got close, it was like I planted both feet, bent my knees, and just leapt in her womb. She never thought of a good word for something that's both thrilling and extremely uncomfortable at the same time. Anyway, we always both been different in different ways. I was the guy in the wilderness, called to a radically different life. The fancy word is asceticism, but that word's too philosophical. The long and short of it is this. I just don't care about the things most people care about. I could care less about what I wear, so I wear a coat of camel hair and a leather belt. Food really isn't important to me, so I live on locusts and wild honey. What I wish people really concern themselves with is not what they wear or what they eat, but who they are. The condition of the heart, the fate of their souls, the corruption I witnessed in the holy city, the leaders who were called to be shepherds but preyed on the sheep, the teachers who sold a false gospel. Repent! It's the word I spoke, because it was what we should do. Maybe it sounded harsh the way I said it, but nothing else got their attention. I couldn't be silent when there is a truth that needed to be spoken, when people needed to be warned. For some reason, it was refreshing to so many people. Crowds of people came out from every direction to hear me speak truth. Hundreds were baptized, seeking to repent from their efforts to do things their own way and to turn back to God's ways. Then one day, Jesus came out to be baptized. He, he's not like the others. He's already different. He's the reason I preached and called people to repentance. Before I knew what I was saying, I pointed everyone's attention away from me and towards him. Behold, the Lamb of God who take away the sin of the world. He wanted to be baptized by me. He should have been the one baptizing me, and I told him that. Sure, I can baptize with water, but Jesus can baptize with the Holy Spirit. I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals on his feet. But he said it was necessary to baptize him, so I obeyed. And when Jesus came out of the water, the, the heavens opened. A dove descended and landed on him, and the voice of God spoke from heaven. You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The Lamb of God, the Son of God. Yet here I am, in a prison cell. I called the wrong sinner to repentance. <laughs> now I'm here for King Herod's amusement. He likes to come and hear what I have to say, but I don't think he ever really listens. I know how this story will end. My disciples get to visit me every so often, to, to attend to me. It's a momentary comfort. I have a lot of time to think and to wonder. I know who Jesus is. I know his story better than almost anyone. But still, I sent my disciples to Jesus. I, I had to know before I die for this message. 
Are you the one who is to come? Or should we look for another? Oh, he is the one. This past Sunday on Valentine's Day, I got my wife Kate a bracelet. It had belonged to my grandmother. And when Kate looked down at the bracelet, she said, why does it say, do not resuscitate on it? So, I didn't get her a bracelet that says, do not resuscitate. I got her a necklace that says, do not resuscitate. Not true. So this John the baptizer shows up. And in, in essence, he says, come and be resuscitated. He says repentant, and we'll talk about that word a lot tonight. But he's saying, come and find life, you people who are dead and you don't even know it. As George said earlier, as you've already caught on by now, we're in the beginning of Lent, the first day, Ash Wednesday. So we're in this sermon series, kicks off tonight, called Were You There? And we'll talk about these people who are part of the story. And today we start with this John the Baptizer, a cousin of Jesus. And he said amazing words, as Will just portrayed in the, in the cool drama. He said amazing words. He said, behold... Don't miss that old English word. Behold, take it and don't miss this, people, is what that means. Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He came and he said words like, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, we're going to be working from Matthew 11, and we find John the Baptist in jail, as Will did, uh, talked about in the drama. So interesting thing here in the Bible. Matthew 11 talks about John the Baptist in the Bible, and three chapters later in 14, we find out why. So it's kind of like a flashback. So we'll start in Matthew 11, and then we'll talk about 14, you know, what happened beforehand to send him into jail. But let's start here in Matthew 11. Um, verses uh, 2 through 6, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples, thank you, he sent his disciples to him asking, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. And look at here, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. May God grant his peace and blessing to us through his holy word. Let's come together in prayer. Holy Spirit, come and open our hearts. Let us hear about this servant of yours, this John the Baptist, who came proclaiming um, redemption of sins through repentance. Let us fully understand this idea of repentance, far deeper than most of us understand, more nuanced and more beautiful so let us hear clearly. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. My Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this Ash Wednesday, Lord just talked about coming up and getting ashes. I already have ashes on my forehead from earlier services. What is it about this Ash Wednesday? What does it mean? Well, ashes are a sign of repentance. It's Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent. The Bible is full of examples of people using ashes in repentance. In Job, we see this old man, Job, uh, in the 42nd chapter, using ashes as a sign of repentance. The people of Nineveh in Jonah, the third chapter, remember God told Jonah, go to this evil city. I mean, this was an evil city. Go preach repentance, and he does. And guess what? The entire city repents, and they do it using ashes. In the Old Testament book of Daniel, in the ninth chapter, Daniel repents for the entire nation of Israel using ashes. So the symbol of ashes today talks about repentance. And from the Lutheran understanding of, of uh, repentance, it's a, a lot deeper, a lot more nuanced, and I think a lot more fulfilling and a lot more enjoyable. There's actually two parts to repentance, and actually then the third one is the fruit. So the first part of repentance is contrition. 
contrition, an, an old word. We'll talk about what that means. It's an acknowledgement of and a sorrow over your sins. That's where repentance starts. Do you acknowledge your sin? Do you understand it? And does it bring sorrow to your heart? 2 Corinthians 7.10, godly sorrow brings repentance. Look at that, the first four words. Godly sorrow does what? It brings repentance that leads to salvation, leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. So here we are on Ash Wednesday, and what is your attitude about your sins? Are you sorry about them? Because if there's no contrition, then there's no need for repentance. If there's no um, guilt in you over who you are and the way you live, then this whole idea of repentance is unnecessary. I don't think I need to be turned around. It's like, you know, Mark, this idea of repentance is fine, but I'm, I'm kind of walking right toward Jesus. I'm good now. Well, maybe I'm not wa walking right toward him, but I'm, you know, a couple degrees off, so I'm kind of going in his direction. Okay, maybe I'm not really even going in his direction, but I'm still kind of kind of going the right way. I don't need to turn around. When the Bible is clear that actually, yes, we are, we're walking away from God, we're walking in darkness and sin, and we're walking toward death, and what Jesus gives us in repentance is a turning around, now walking in truth and light, walking toward life. So different types of repentance, or at least different um, components, it doesn't have to be an emotional sorrow, although it can be a gut-wrenching, soul-tearing um, unrest in your core over your sin, something that really emotionally bothers you. That's a form of repentance. It can be that, but it doesn't have to be. It can be an intellectual regret, a reading of God's word and seeing what his standard is for living and realizing that, man, I'm not even coming close to living the life God wants me to live. That, that kind of acknowledgement is a form of contrition. Or, or how about the fear of punishments for your sins? The old, old Lutherans would call this a holy terror. Like you see that you're a sinner and you read in Scripture that this has serious consequences and it's the worst news ever. The Bible is full of this. The, the Lutherans would call this the law. Here's the law. Here's where you fall short. And guess what? It has terrible consequences. And maybe we see it no better than in the book of Ezekiel, the 18th chapter. The one who sins is the one who will die. The wickedness of the wicked will be charged against them. There is consequences for your sin, and maybe that is the contrition that God is pulling you into in this Lent. It's my opinion, this is my opinion, but here we are in North America in 2021, and we just don't take our sins seriously enough. Oh, we get that, you know, we kind of annoy God, but we think it's not that bad. We see God as kind of this dad, and we're these rascal teenagers who kind of break the rules, but he kind of rolls his eyes and gets annoyed and thinks, man, humans will be humans. <laughs> No, anger, wrath from a holy God over our sin. With the very worst consequences we just read from Ezekiel, it leads to a spiritual death. We know the body's going to break down one day, the heart will stop beating and we'll die. But it's much worse than that. It's eternity separated from God as a, as a punishment. Our sinful state means an eternal death and darkness. Sounds like the language of contrition. Getting a little bit uneasy in your seat? You ought to. That's the work of the law. It makes us see ourselves in our sinful nature and makes us think, oh, no. Another form of contrition, sorrow over your sin, can be a real holy regret. This is for believers. This is for Christians. When you love someone the way Christians love God and we offend them, it bothers us. You love your spouse, you love your kids, you love your parents. When you um, offend them, it, it hurts you somehow inside. I, I wish I hadn't done that saddens God. It offends him. It cost him the life of his son. 
a real story, this Lent we enter into, this Jesus became a man, and not a myth, not a fable to kind of turn us. It really happened. The God-man was here, and he died. He, he really died, not metaphorically, not hyperbole. He really died on a cross as payment for our sins. It was my sin that caused that. It was your sin that caused that. Does that bother you? This is the language of contrition. Well, in the Old Testament, David, we know this great man of the Old Testament, David. Yeah, David the giant slayer, David the king, David the incredible sinner. Man, did he know how to sin. But he knew that he sinned against a holy God. And in Psalm 51, he says, I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. And he says, against you, talking to God, against you, you, have, uh, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. David sees that it's against the holy God. It, it breaks his heart. This is a form of contrition. So what is your attitude concerning your sin? Well, if I'm making you uncomfortable, that's the law doing its work. But the good news is, is there is good news, and it's the best news ever. And let's start down that path here. Psalm 34, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. If you're brokenhearted over your sin, the Lord is near to you. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. So the first part of repentance is contrition, this word we've talked about, being sorrowful, being broken over your sin, realizing it, understanding the deadly and eternal punishment that comes from it. I, this third time I'm preaching this sermon today, I preached one at noon earlier, and then um, in the afternoon I went to the uh, gym and ran on that little track around and around. I liked running. And I was thinking, how did the sermon go? What could I have done better? And I thought, you know, maybe I should have titled this message, The Oh No and the Yippee. The Oh No and the Yippee. Because the Oh No is, Oh No, I'm a sinner. But the second part of contrition is the Yippee. It's the faith. Now, remember what faith is. Faith is a gift. It's not the kind of conjuring up of a relationship with God. Well, I think there's a God, pretty sure, and I ought to have faith, so somehow I ought to generate some kind of belief in him, some kind of faith, and maybe that will work. No, that's not what faith is. The relationship with you have uh, with God is all his doing. That's the faith he gives you. It came to you in your baptism with the water and the word. God said, that one is mine and he brought you into the family. It, when you come up uh, later, if you are receiving communion, the bread and wine, much more than bread and wine, the body and blood, Christ in you and for you, giving you faith. When you hear me preach the words from the Bible, when you open your Bible at home and read, this is giving you faith. God is claiming you. He's bringing you in. So there's an, oh, no, I'm a sinner, but there's a yippee. God gave me faith. And what is it a faith in? Well, we talked about that earlier, that Jesus was the Son of Man, and he came to take away the sins of the world, and he rescued a broken, dark, and dying existence. And one day we'll come again and make all things whole. So several places in the scriptures we see that not only is faith a gift, but actually this idea of repentance is all God's doing. This might be a new, a new way of looking at it for you, but look at the evidence in Psalm 80, 19. Turn us again. Who's doing the turning? God is. Turn us again, O Lord of hosts. Cause thy face to shine, and we will be saved. Hmm. God is the one who turns us in repentance. We preached on the parables from Luke 15 at the end of the summer. And, the, uh, and the, first, the very first one is the parable of the lost sheep in Luke 15. Supposable, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And then when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home and then he says, let's have a party. I find, found one of the lost. So who's the one that's finding the lost sheep? Who's the one putting it on his shoulders and bringing it home? 
the repentance of that lost sheep has nothing to do with the sheep. It's the Savior, the shepherd, who goes out and finds it. God is the one who is repenting us. This is the yippee part of the story. A couple more to prove to you that it's God who does the repenting. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance. He gives repentance. He's the one who turns us to Israel and forgives of sins. Acts eleven eighteen. When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, well then, God has also granted to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. It's God who's doing the turning. One more, 2 Timothy 2.25. Christians should with gentleness correct those who are in opposition if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. So the two parts of repentance are contrition, seeing your sin and knowing it, and then the yiffy part, the good news, yay, God gave me faith and saves me. And the thing that we generally think of as repentance is actually a fruit of repentance. The fruit of repentance is the turning around. It comes from contrition. It comes from faith. Repentance is being found by Jesus. He comes and finds us in our sin. He shows us our sin, and he shows us our mercy. So back to the story of John the Baptist, right? We find him in prison, and we talked about it earlier in Matthew 11. We, we hear that he's in prison. Why is he in prison? Well, Matthew 14 talks about that. Um, he called some powerful and evil people to repentance, and they didn't like it. So the king there is King Herod. You might know the name. There's a couple of di different King Herods. This is King Herod Antipas or Herod Tetrarch. Okay, weird names, right? His dad was Herod the Great. It wasn't a very great guy. If you remember the story, Jesus is born. Herod the Great is the king of the Jews. But he hears that this baby is born who is now the king of the Jews. Well, he can't have any of that. He can't be threatened in his power. So what, what does he do? The slaughter of the innocents, you may have heard it. He has all the little boys in the Bethlehem area killed. Now, Jesus escapes, but that's the kind of dude we're dealing with here. So his son, he's Herod the Great. So his son, Herod Tetrarch, Herod Antipas, also a bad dude. So here's the problem that John has with this guy, John the Baptist. This Herod Tetrarch stole the wife of his brother. Her name is Herodias. So he's Herod, she's Herodias, and is having, living as a man and wife, let's just say, with her, even though she's married to the brother. And John says, no, this is an offense to God. Repent, show contrition, show faith, and be turned. They don't like that. They don't want to have their power threatened. So they throw him in jail. So this Herod throws a birthday party for himself, and the daughter of his illegitimate wife, Herodias, she does a dance for the people there. Now, this is unusual. I've done some research. Generally, in that time, they would have hired professional entertainers to do this kind of thing. So I'm not exactly sure the dyna dynamics. I don't know why she's dancing it. Maybe it's a weird and gross story. I'm not sure. But apparently, she dances to the point where everyone is so pleased with her dancing that this King Herod, uh, Herod says, that was so awesome. I want to reward you. I'll give you anything up to half of my kingdom. What do you want? So this girl who was dancing goes to her mom, Herodias. Remember, she's the illegitimate wife of Herod. And maybe Herodias hates John the baptizer even more than Herod does because she says, ask him for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. So now he's got to do it. See, because Herod and Herodias and even the daughter, they didn't repent. What was the problem? Was it a lack of contrition, a lack of understanding that they're sinners? Um... Maybe. 
So in Matthew 14, the king, Herod, is distressed, but because of his oaths to his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted, and he had John beheaded in prison. Now we see there that he's distressed. Hmm, maybe that's contrition. Maybe Herod is showing some faith. Commentators say this distress was probably caused by his superstitious understandings. So we see from the text that he was not contrite. He was not sorrowful over his sins. There was no contrition. Herod didn't repent. Maybe it was a lack of faith. Eh, probably. Because we read in Acts 4 that this same Herod and this guy Pontius Pilate, we know that name, uh, later they meet and conspire together with the Gentiles, the people of Israel in the city. They conspire against your holy servant Jesus who was anointed. So not a guy that believes that he's the son of God, not a, a guy that shows, shows contrition. He, he doesn't repent. So what is the deal with all this repentance for us today? Well, it's a part of the good news. It's a part of the yippee. <laughs> there's the oh no, and there's the yippee. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. So back to our story, right? Before John is beheaded, he's in prison, and he sends his disciples out to ask Jesus, are, are you really the one that we've been waiting for, or is there somewhere else, someone else? And Jesus says this, and I stressed it earlier, and we'll talk about it again. Jesus says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. And, and don't miss this last part, so important. The good news is proclaimed to the poor. Well, why is that the important part? Why isn't people getting their sight important and, and people with leprosy being cleansed important? Those are good. That, there's a great celebration in that. But the key for us is that last part, that the good news is proclaimed to the poor. What is that good news? That there's a yippee, that Jesus saved us that there is salvation, there is deliverance in Christ by the faith that he gives us. In a couple of moments, you'll come forward and receive ashes on your forehead. Uh, in the sanctuary, pastors already had these great gentle words of applying them, and I so appreciate them. But having grown up with this tradition, we always heard, and I'll probably use these same words uh, when you come up from Genesis 3, from ashes you have come and to ashes you will return. Oh, no, I... <laughs> I didn't want to hear that. Don't tell me I'm, I'm headed for ashes, that I'm dying. I came to church for good news. Well, that's the oh no part. Oh no, really? From ashes you have come to ashes you will return. But then the beautiful part of the way we're doing it tonight, and maybe we should always do it like this, is immediately after you receive these ashes, you will receive the holy meal. You'll receive the yippee, the body and blood of Christ for you for the forgiveness of sins, the law and the gospel. Lutherans would say the bad news and the good news, the oh no and the yippee, the contrition and the faith. So as we enter into this season of Lent, let us experience contrition, the sorrow over our sin, and let us enjoy the faith that we have that God has given to us, and let us allow ourselves to be turned by God, and let us enjoy the good news that Jesus has come for the salvation of humanity. We have next steps for you. Um, you have them in your sermon outlines if you pick them up, and the first one is to spend time this Lent in contrition experiencing sorrow over your sin. Look at the law of God and see if you stand up to it. And you'll be convinced like I am that I am a miserable failure. And that's horrible. That has terrible consequences. That's the oh no. But then point number two, the yippee. Think about the faith God has given to you and what that means that you have been delivered out of the oh no and into the yippee, into the hooray. And number three, when it uh, when Jesus picks you up and puts you on his shoulders to bring you back home, allow him. Don't fight it. Don't say, I know better. Don't say, I'm already headed toward the light, Jesus, because you're not. 
He will turn you and put you on a path of truth and light that leads to life. Let's come together in prayer. The oh no and the yippee, Lord. The bad news is bad, but the good news is even better. Dying people who face their sin and understand it, but a Savior who delivers them out of the death that they deserve. Thank you that the good news is, is better than the bad news is bad, if I can say it that way. You are good to us. Let us enjoy um, this season of Lent, this time of maybe um, stripping back things a bit, spending more time with you, making life simpler, quieting down. I don't know what kind of uh, thing that'll take, maybe uh, cutting out some of the technology, spending more time as family, taking walks in the park, just sitting and being quiet with you. Grant us your peace. In Christ's name we pray, and together we all say, amen.